0: After an extended summer hiatus, we are back in session with another episode of the Student Loan Show. Hang on tight, here it comes. Trade King podcasting stage at FinCon 2016. It is the student loan show. Hey, everybody. My name is Jay Fleischman, and with me today is Adam Minsky. Adam, how you doing? I'm good, Jay. How are you? I'm doing just great today. Adam, uh, why don't you tell everybody all about you and all the things that they don't know?
1: Sure. Uh, I am a student loan attorney uh, based in Boston, licensed in Massachusetts and New York. Uh, My practice is focused entirely on helping student loan borrowers. So I help people at uh, all stages uh, of the borrowing and repayment process from uh, the initial financial aid award letter to recent graduates uh, to people who are in repayment and people who are in trouble, uh, including default and collections. Terrific.
0: And so Adam and I are kindred spirits in many ways. (laughs) Um, So, you know, Adam, I'm sure you get the same questions over and over again, and there are so many people out there who just aren't in a position to pay their student loans. What mm-hmm. is it? Only forty percent are in repayments? Is that the number? I think
1: only forty percent of federal student loan borrowers are in a formal repayment plan right now? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So we've got six out of ten federal student loan borrowers
0: who are not making payments at all. Mm-hmm. And of course, there's millions of private student loan borrowers as well. Mm-hmm. What do you think is the reason why 60% aren't making payments i mean is is it an education thing is it Uh, Is it just a financial thing, is it a fear thing?
1: Uh, It's probably a combination of all of that. Um, In my experience, I think it comes down to uh, two primary reasons. Uh, The first uh, is simply because uh, it's expensive to repay these loans and people uh, don't have necessarily the wages to keep up uh, with regular repayments under balance-based payment plans. But the other problem is that a lot of people aren't aware of the alternative options that are out there to help uh, manage repayment. Uh, There's a menu of income-driven repayment plan options Uh, There's loan consolidation that can simplify repayment. And too often, I think people rely on either deferment or forbearance to postpone payments. Um, uh, And they think it's either that or make uh, payments that they just can't afford. But there actually are a bunch of options in the middle. And people just uh, still are not uh, fully taking advantage of that, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. I I think that the level of education out there is, you know, the government's done so much to try to educate people more. But Mm -hmm. I feel like it's turned into this... I likened it to a to a sandwich the mm-hmm. other day, mm-hmm. and it's like the government keeps putting layers on the sandwich, yeah. and it looks really delicious, but you can't fit it all into your mouth. There's right. no <laughs> way to make it happen. Exactly. So, so, you know, there's you've got the option of making things sound easy, mm-hmm. or making things accurate, and right. accurate is really really difficult. Yeah. Um, but where does somebody start? You know, you're you're. You're coming out of school. Mm-hmm. Um, you get your six months worth of grace period, and mm-hmm. then you're thrown to the wolves. Right, and you get this massive bill from Navient or Nelnet or FedLoan Servicing or, or what have you. Mm-hmm. So. What do you do? What what's your first thing that you tell people to do?
1: Well, the very first thing that I think anyone should do um, is to get more information on the loans that you have, because that really is going to be uh, the foundation for any further work that you do to manage your repayment. So, for your federal loans, the best place to start would be the uh, National Student Loan Data System, uh, which is the Department of Education's online federal loan database. Uh, the website is nslds.ed.gov. Um, go there, get some key information on your loan, including the balance. The interest rate, uh, the servicer, which is going to be the uh, the entity that you're going to be dealing with uh, in terms of setting up your payments. So that is a first step; is really important. Reaching out to your servicer directly is also important. Um, historically um, and and through the present, um, unfortunately, servicers don't always provide complete or accurate information, <laughs> um, and so um, you, your your work may not end uh, just by talking to your servicer. But it's at least good to do that as as a first step. The Department of Ed also has some free resources. Um, online uh, at studentloans.gov and studentaid.ed.gov, there's some calculators, charts uh, that uh, go over all the repayment plan options. Um, so arming yourself with information, I think, is a good place to start before you even think about paying someone to provide you uh, with some sort of uh, additional help beyond that. And then if, if you're stuck, if you really can't get anywhere, then it's time I think to, to maybe seek out some, some, uh, some extra help.
0: See. It's amazing. You and I talk about servicers all the time. We do, yeah. Um, it's amazing how few people understand the role of the servicer. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'll get phone calls from people, and they'll tell me that uh, Sally Mae had their loan, Sally Mae owned their loan, and mm-hmm. then Sally Mae sold their loan to Navi, And Of course, right. we know that uh, Sally Mae became Navi and It mm-hmm. was more of a name change than anything else, kind mm-hmm. of rebranding, I guess, um, though there was a split of, of responsibilities. But... It's amazing how few how few people realize that the servicer isn't the loan owner. Correct. But at the same time, if you've got federal loans and private loans, the servicer could be the loan owner, like right. Navient. Uh, you can have student loans that are owned by Navient mm-hmm. um, and that are also serviced by Navient. Mm-hmm. You can have your federal as well as your, exactly. your private loans there. Right. Um, what do you think what do you think that we do about that? I mean, I, I can only educate so many people. Yeah so many times in so many different ways, but there right. there are millions of people that just don't understand it.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's a really tough situation because, you know, like you said, Jay, when you know someone comes to me, this is a very common situation, someone comes to me, uh, you know, they give me a call, they send me an email, they say, Adam, I need some help with my Navient student loan. Um, and that, that tells me absolutely nothing because Navient is a private loan lender. They're a private loan servicer. They're a federal loan lender. They even have a federal uh, guarantee agency component. They have an internal collection agency. They're a servicer for the Department of Education's loan system. So they do everything. Um, and and again, that goes back to my initial point, which is understanding uh, what your loan is and who has it is going to just be really important to, to, to figuring out everything else. Is it a direct loan? Is it a FELL program loan? Is it a Stafford? Is it a PLUS loan? Is Did Navient actually lend you the money? Or did the Department of Education lend you the money and Navient is just the servicer? Um, and and getting that initial information is, is key. And again, that's where NSLDS can be really helpful and uh, talking to someone can also be helpful uh, for that as well.
0: Yeah. The the servicer I tell people is kind of like the bookkeeper. Yeah. Um, you know, they're they're the person in the old movies with the green eye shade, that would mm-hmm. sit with the calculator. Yeah. They send you the bills, and they're the ones that get the money and uh, theoretically at least apportion it the right way. We we know that that doesn't always doesn't happen. Doesn't
1: always happen, right. Yeah. But but they're the entity that you're going to be dealing with. If you have a federal student loan, you're really, you know, and, and that's the lender is the Department of Ed. You have a direct federal loan. It, you're actually almost never going to actually deal with the Department of Education directly. Uh, you're going to be dealing with whoever they've contracted out to service your student loan. That could be Navient, that could be Nelnet, Great Lakes Higher Education, Fed Loan Servicing. Um, but that is, that is the face of the Department of Education for purposes of, of, uh, of the day-to-day operations. They don't own your loan, uh, but they have been contracted to handle your loan, and therefore that's who you have to be dealing with. Right, exactly. So you've got the lender,
0: you've got the servicer. If you mm-hmm. go into default, you've got the guarantee agency, mm-hmm. the default servicer.
1: Mm-hmm. You've got all of these moving parts. You can have a debt collection agency if a- you're in default as exactly. well. Exactly. You've mm-hmm. got the
0: debt collection agency. Yep. You've got, if there's a tax offset, you've got uh, the Department the of Treasury, Treasury. involved mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. all of that jazz. So you've yep. got so many moving parts. Yeah. It doesn't surprise me that people get confused.
1: No, it's it's a confusing system, and 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 one of the reasons why student loan servicers um, have made so many errors, and this isn't just me and Jay talking, this is the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau came out with a very detailed report detailing all the ways in which servicers mess up, um, because it's true, they do. Uh, but one of the reasons they mess up is because the system itself is so complicated. You have the contracting system where the Department of Ed contracts out servicing to, uh, to dozens of companies, uh, both for servicing and for debt collection, and then the, the the actual student loan system is complicated. You have all these different types of loans. Uh, you have all these different types of repayment plans, each with their own eligibility criteria and formulas. Um, it's just—it's a, a system that's ripe for error. Um, and the servicing system, the contracting system, isn't set up to incentivize uh, excellent customer service. It's—it's it's set up to incentivize efficiency in an inefficient system. It's just a disaster.
0: Sure. Your government is here to help you.
1: <laughs> yes. Always, always a phone call you want to hear. <laughs>
0: what, what I've started to see over the course of the past six months, and I'm curious to hear what, what, um, your experience has been, mm-hmm. you know, public service loan forgiveness, 120 yep. timely monthly payments mm-hmm. on a direct loan with a qualifying mm-hmm. employer yep. on a qualifying repayment plan. I've so that, that, Started in 2007, so the first load is is getting ready to come into the pipeline. Yep. Um, and I'm starting to get phone calls from people who are nine years in mm-hmm. and who have been making their payments on income-based repayment, mm-hmm. and they don't have qualifying loans. They've got a field loan. Right. And they never went into a direct loan, and the amount of education that they had on the front end was minimal. Mm-hmm actually none. They yep. have no idea. They didn't know what kind of loan that they had. Right. Um, Another nine years in, and they're basically out of luck. Right. What do you tell these people? What's?
1: Yeah, it's, it's always a heartbreaking conversation I have with people because a lot of these programs have very specific and very strict eligibility criteria. Uh, and if you don't meet all of the criteria, then you don't make any progress. And a great example of this is the public service loan forgiveness program where it's The common belief is that, well, if I am working in public service, uh, that is sufficient. Um, And it's just not true. (laughs) <laughs> um, you have to have the right type of loan and you also have to be making payments under the right type of plan. Um, and that's where things can get tricky. And if any one of those elements are missing, if you're making payments, but on the wrong type of loan, or if you're in an, in repayment, but you're not on the right type of repayment plan, uh, then you might not be making progress at all uh, towards public service loan forgiveness. Now, the fact is, like you said, Jay, uh, the first borrowers to apply for forgiveness under this program um, aren't even eligible until next year in 2017. Right. Um, so we don't really know for sure what the Department of Education will do, but um, but the regulations, uh, as attorneys, we can tell you that the that the regulations are pretty clear, uh, and that it's a direct loan program, and so if you're making payments on a non-direct loan, uh, even if you're working, you know, full-time as a teacher, um, you might be out of luck, and it's, it's, it's tough to tell people, and so wh- wh- what I say when I encounter clients who are in that situation uh, is, look, I mean, it stinks, but we have a choice right now. We can either wait it out and see what the Department of Education actually does when it's time to apply, or... Or we can uh, try to correct the situation uh, by getting you on track for public service loan forgiveness uh, either by getting you in the right plan now or consolidating to get you into the direct loan program Uh, it's a very case-by-case type of situation and very uh very personal decision i think but it's it's uh that's really the only option is to wait it out hope for the best or try to make a change
0: yeah and after nine years in the system it's more likely than not that you probably make Enough money that mm-hmm. IBR is no longer a consideration for a lot of my clients. At mm-hmm, least, you mm-hmm. know, they've they've gone through nine years. They've paid down at least a portion of the balance, right? You know, principal and interest, right? Um, and now they're making so much money mm-hmm. that it again, it's a heartbreaking situation. I'm like, oh, you know, it's not going to work out for you anymore, yeah. and it. Yeah. it it kills them,
1: and you know, and there. Are, I mean, there are a lot of questions about public service loan forgiveness right now. I mean, we know that uh, some public service employers um, that should be counted as qualifying entities are now being rejected by the Department of Education as not qualifying. Right. Um, you know, uh, so so uh, you know, that's just one example. But uh, I think that as we see more borrowers applying for the actual forgiveness component of this program in the coming years, um, it's going to be a bit of a roller coaster for people.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I, I and I don't think it's going to well for a lot of
1: people. No, unfortunately I, I agree. Yeah. Well
0: thirty percent of all employment certification forms are bounced back from mm-hmm. from Fed loan servicing because mm-hmm. they they're incomplete, they're right. incorrect, or the employer doesn't qualify, and I think that that's one of the reasons why you definitely want to do the employment certification form every single year. Not only does it save you the record-keeping requirements Mm -hmm. of 10 years' worth of everything, Mm -hmm. because you're going to have to prove all 120 payments were made on time for the correct amount, you had the correct uh, repayment plan, and you had a qualifying employer, Mm -hmm. as opposed Mm -hmm. to by by doing the employment certification form every year, Mm what you're able to do is kind of offload that responsibility over to FedLoan Servicing.
1: Right. Yeah, so so the form that Jay is referring to is called the Public Service Loan Forgiveness Employment Certification Form. Uh, it is available online through the servicer that is tasked with handling public service borrowers, and that is FedLoan Servicing. MyFedLoan.org is the website. You can pull the form from there. Um, it's not required. It's not a legal requirement that borrowers complete this form, but the Department of Education recommends that you complete it on average, about once per year, or whenever you leave a qualifying public service employer. What it does is, it's, it's a common misconception that this officially enrolls you in the program. It does not, but what it does is it allows the Department of Education to track your qualifying payments. Uh, so you know if you're working for a qualifying employer or not, and you know how many payments you have made and how many payments are left. Um, and as Jay was talking about, uh, there are problems with the process, FedLoan is kicking back the form uh, for various reasons, and there are also problems with the outcome uh, where certain employers who should qualify are being told that they don't, um, and, uh, uh, and qualifying payments have also been missed. That's another problem that, that I'm right. seeing. But it's a really important way of tracking your progress, because like Jay was saying, uh, if, you, if you make 120 consecutive payments, that's the fastest you can get forgiveness under this program. That's still 10 years, which means you have to now go back to 10 years' worth of employment and produce records. Um, It's going to be easier if you've been keeping track of it as you go, uh, and that's where that form can really come in handy because it allows you to... to, Track your progress. You'll get a letter saying, you know, you, you've you made 20 payments, you have 100 left. You've made 30 payments, you have 90 left. Uh, what I usually tell my clients who are on track for this program, because you have to be under an income-driven plan while uh, while working in public service employment, and you have to recertify your income-driven plan annually, that's a, that's a requirement. There's, that's not a voluntary thing. Um, you might as well just submit the form sort of in conjunction with the income-driven recertification. That way, uh, you don't have to remember two different deadlines. You just do everything at once, and that can make it a lot easier.
0: Right, and and doing it by paper is what I recommend to my clients. I,
1: I and for I, income-driven repayment,
0: for for income-driven mm-hmm. repayment for consolidation, mm. I I always recommend paper because hmm. the servicers make it really easy to mm-hmm. do it by phone or online. Mm-hmm. Um, Department of Education, you can do your consolidation online, mm-hmm. but. Once you press that submit button, mm-hmm. you can't prove what you did, you can't prove mm. what you sent in, what you didn't send in, mm-hmm. and if you're doing it by phone, you can't prove anything. Right. Sure, they, they these calls may be recorded for quality assurance purposes, but mm-hmm. the reality is that you don't have any proof whatsoever, so I recommend that my clients always do them by form, make a copy of the form, mm. send it in, certified mm-hmm. mail, keep a copy of the green card, yep. um, you agree is that or... uh,
1: so it's interesting so I, I definitely never tell anyone to do any of this by phone I mean that that is something that I, <laughs> that just makes me uncomfortable um, and and I've seen a lot of people get into trouble on the other side of that where uh, they they you know they say a consolidation loan was issued without their uh, their consent uh, simply because it was done over the phone um, in terms of paper or online um, uh, you know I actually think that both are okay as long as you keep records you can print out you know uh, the, you, you you get to a page on the online system where it shows you uh, everything that that You have filled out. You can print that out. Right. Uh, you also get a, an email receipt showing that you've submitted it, um, and uh, and I think you can also get a PDF copy as well, if I'm not mistaken. But um, I there are pros and cons, in my opinion, to both methods. Um, if you do it on on paper, uh, Jay is absolutely right. Uh, you know, you you get that uh, that paper record of it, paper trail. You keep copies, uh, and that is is really important. Um, on the other hand, they have to manually enter that information when they get it into their computer system. Um, and and I think sometimes that uh, that causes errors that I've seen. Um, sure. Whereas if you do it online, um, it's a faster process, it's already immediately entered into their system, um, and so I, I think it's a little bit less prone to, uh, to there being some sort of mistake. So really, um, it's, it's, it's one of those case by case things. My general view um, is that if someone has a lot of loans that they're consolidating, like dozens of loans, um, I think online is actually a little bit better because uh, the more loans you have for the paper application, you'd have to submit all is extra pages, right. and then they have right. to manually enter all that information. So I think there's more room for error the more loans you have. You might want to do it online uh, for those types of situations. And how do you feel about you? You've
0: already said don't do an
1: don't do it on repayment. phone. <laughs> don't do it on the yeah. phone. it's just a horrible idea, right? Well, and 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 also uh, with regards to income-driven repayment, uh, there is actually some some ongoing issues, uh, especially with the online application, uh, because it if you're married uh, for some of the plans like income-based repayment, you're allowed to file separately from your spouse and exclude your spouse's income from consideration, uh, but because it's a joint application for all the plans and one of the plans, revised pay as you earn, requires that you uh, produce your spouse's uh, income information no matter what, they have a combined application that makes you uh, produce your spouse's uh, income information and have your spouse sign the form no matter what plan you're selecting. And if you are doing this online, there's no way to get around that. You actually can't complete the application process if you leave your spouse's income information out. Um, And so for borrowers in that situation, the paper application might make more sense because then you can try to get a, you know, legally they're not supposed to be Looking at your spouse's income information if you're filing separately under, for instance, income-based repayment. So in that in that case, and uh, uh, a paper application might make more sense.
0: Yeah, the the married borrower is just
1: it's a mess. <laughs> it's, it's,
0: it's an absolute mess. Yeah. yeah, you can you can file separately right. and only count your adjusted gross income for IBR and ICR mm-hmm. and. Pays you earn, mm-hmm. um, but if you're going to revise pay as you earn, which is a smaller percentage of your uh, adjusted gross income, mm-hmm. it's a smaller percentage of a bigger pot.
1: Right, exactly. And so there actually are some borrowers, and you probably encounter this all the time, Jay, where uh, even though revised pay as you earn is actually a cheaper plan just by looking at the formula, there are some borrowers who are married who will actually have a cheaper payment under income based repayment, the relatively more expensive plan, uh, because it allows them to exclude spousal income if you file separately Um, and so uh, in that case um, you know doing the application on paper might make more sense to avoid some of the online application hurdles that you might encounter
0: right and that's also a really good reason to make sure that if you're working with a professional that professional I think uh, also needs to uh, interface with your tax
1: Mm -hmm. people yes I mean I'm all about sort of a holistic approach to yeah. student loan stuff. I mean, what's going on with your student loans does not happen in a vacuum. It's related to taxes. It's related to your financial planning. Um, it's It really feeds into everything. And so um, having an open dialogue with uh, with all these aspects of your, of your life, I think are important. There are tax implications to filing separately. For some borrowers, uh, paying more taxes could effectively wipe out the savings uh, that you might see by doing IBR as married filing separately. And so I always tell my clients, you know, so these are the numbers for the student loan uh, payment plans, but talk to a tax advisor as well so you can see how your uh, your tax liability may change depending on, on how you file.
0: Absolutely. Uh, do a tax, pro- uh, tax projection
1: it's yeah. called actually. Exactly. Run, yeah. run them jointly, run them separately,
0: mm-hmm. uh, figure out the numbers, figure out what the savings and the relative costs are going to be before right. you make what could be an enormous mistake. Exactly. Um, exactly. And it's one of the reasons why calling one of these private companies that only is going to try to get you into a consolidation in IBR uh, with a promise of the Obama Student Loan Forgiveness mm-hmm. Program, which by the way doesn't exist, Correct. is probably not going to be in your best interest. Yeah. Be, um,
1: be very careful of these scam operations because they, they're they just looking to take your money and sign you up for the quickest, easiest thing. They're not looking to actually counsel you and make sure that you're making the right decision for you, and that's the danger. Absolutely. So, we're going to have to wrap it up here at uh, the Trade
0: King stage. At, fincon 2016 adam thanks so much for taking the time and being here with me thanks for having uh, me jay I, I love doing these things together. me too <laughs> it's, it's so much fun it's we're, fun we're yeah. definitely going to do it again absolutely and we're supposed to do this one live on facebook live but we didn't have a good enough uh good enough signal on the phone so we're definitely going to do a facebook live i i think that that's i think we need a, to <laughs> yeah, absolutely so uh for the student loan show this is jay fleischman adam how did we find you
1: Uh, You can find me at uh, www.bostonstudentloanlawyer.com. You can tweet at me uh, at Adam S. Minsky. That's M-I-N-S-K-Y. And my website is www.minsky-law.com.
0: Sounds great. And, of course, I'm at studentloanshow.com. I'll see you back here next week on The Student Loan Show.